are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network one of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions we do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads but on a case-by-case basis if you're interested in that contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com with the amount of audio and video content we generate it is expensive and extremely time consuming to keep things running please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at two five ten or twenty five dollars and get a ton of bonus content One of us needs and appreciates all your support. It's time for another round of Fantastic Fest reviews with your crew here from Fantastic Fest, Alan. Hey. Drew. (laughs) Chaos Reigns. (laughs) and me chris boy we saw a lot of movies this year although as always and this is always a giant pain in the ass where we're like all of us saw a ton of movies four of them overlapped (laughs) there's so many movies to see but we do a thing where we talk at all all about the movies we saw and then we talk about a couple that only two of us saw but as this review series goes on we'll be bringing more people into it some people are reviewing the fantastic fest at home which doesn't even start till the 30th, the, the end of the festival, they start where you can buy a virtual badge and then watch all, or I think about 50% of the movies that play the festival from home. And some of our critics will come on to help us talk about more stuff after that fact. But for now, the actual straight up, we were at the theater every single day on the ground reviewers are going to take on a few more films. We are going to start off with a movie that I wasn't sure I was even going to review because I generally have stayed away from reviewing stuff that is written or directed or is starring people that I consider myself very close to or have been very close to at some point. And that's been difficult with Cargill because his career kind of took off in a big way with like big name productions. I'm like, I can't keep dodging this forever. <laughs> Eventually I, I'm going to have to. And I think he's made his peace with the fact that it's okay if you're my friend and not, you don't like my movie. Nobody liked Sinister 2 and he will own up to that. <laughs> so uh, his latest movie, The Black Phone, has been deeply anticipated because it's him teaming up with the directors uh, that he worked with on Sinister 1 and uh, Dr. Strange, Scott Derrickson, based on a short story of the same name by Joe Hill, The Black Phone stars Ethan Hawke, who obviously they both worked with before, as a serial killer set in the 70s. It's basically dazed and confused, too, if they were like, OK, what if we made this a horror movie instead, a supernatural based horror film? There's a lot of that sort of feel to start with the film as we meet this young group of high school kids who are playing those times. I mean, it literally starts at like a kid baseball game with a song that's in the Dazed and Confused soundtrack. It couldn't be any more clear that they're going for that. It's Colorado, 1978. Finney Shaw, played by Mason Thames, and his younger but definitely, in many ways, old soul sister, Gwen, played by Madeline McGraw, have a hard time. School bullies like to target them. Their father, Jeremy Davies, is a massive alcoholic and tends to be a little bit physically abusive when he gets drunk. And the sister appears to have uh, psychic powers that she got from her mother. She's got some degree of clairvoyance, apparently, but uh, she, she gets a lot of the abuse there because the dad doesn't want anything to do with connecting with the mom who is dead and he misses her and that's why he drinks so much. You get it, right? Unfortunately, there's a serial killer going around, or presumably, who has been kidnapping high school-aged children 
and that there everyone calls the grabber and so everyone's like watch out for the grabber be careful make sure you already have with them and we see one of finney's friends gets grabbed until finney himself is indeed grabbed as you're reasonably certain is going to happen from the get-go once it's clear he's the protagonist and ethan hawk is the grabber so he <laughs> gets locked into this basement by the guy that has one real feature outside of a mattress in it there is a disconnected black phone hanging on the wall and when it rings at one point ethan hawk always shows up with either the top or bottom half of this very creepy mask on says yeah it's just like residual static charge or something it does that every once in a while there's no one there but for this kid who's starting to i can only presume discover his own psychic inheritance from his mother finds that the people calling on this phone are actually people they're just not alive anymore which is to say the previous children who've been stuck in this situation who start guiding him on how he might possibly be able to survive and get out of here intact a thing they did not. So, creepy sounding scenario, right? Well, I mean, I'm not going to tell you how it ends. So, <laughs> but <laughs> you you can see it for yourself because this is in fact getting a wide release, but I'm curious to know what my fellow critics thought about it. I'm still I'm going to be I admit I'm going to be sheepish about talking about my opinions with the Cargill movie, but I'll give a little bit at the end. Yeah, I like I like this quite a bit. I'm a fan of well, I really I think Sinister is like a grade A horror film. Like it freaked the shit out of me. <laughs> like, like it's really good. Um, and I guess if I'm comparing their past, like horror works, this is not quite as scary as that. I do. I l- enjoy the premise a lot. I know that comes from the short story and I kind of like how this girl just has psychic powers. I don't know if that's in the short story as well, but I know Joe Hill wrote it, Stephen King's son. And I like, in a lot of Stephen King stuff, it's just like, yeah, these people are, that this person's a psychic, you know, they just are, you know, like, and that seems, it's, there's no, again, similar to the innocence that we talked about on our last pod. So there's no real explanation. Either. Like some people have these abilities in this world. Some people don't. This little girl does. This little boy seemingly has some of it too. They even mentioned at one point that the grabber can hear the phone ring too. So he's like sensitive to that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't want to get into like, it's hard because the premise, is good and to talk further about it you would kind of get into more spoiler territory of like who's even talking to him on the phone and who the character knows but i thought it was pretty effective honestly like i think for the most part the performances are really good the two main kids too um the brother and sister the younger sister particularly kind of stole the show throughout the screening like she had a lot of lines that it's like hit hard with the audience either big laughs or like emotional moments mm-hmm. really really good the, the movie got me really good three or four times on a good jump scare. And I love a well-constructed jump scare. I see a lot of horror movies, obviously. I, you can see them coming a mile away most of the time. And when I can even see one coming and it still gets me, I find that pretty impressive, you know? And not just because the music got loud for a second, but because, like, the image I saw and the way they structured it with a camera move or something, that was really good. And it has a couple of those for sure. It, it's a little... If anything, I'd say negative about it. It's a little slight. Like, it's not going to, this movie isn't going to stick with me for a while. It wasn't so disturbing or so incredible that I'm going to be ruminating on it, thinking back on the black phone. Um, but I enjoyed my time in the theater with it, especially with the festival audience. It was really fun. You had a lot of big gasps from them. Um, 
Yeah, I'm tempted. I want to get into the third act more, but I, I don't want to spoil, so I'll just leave it at that. Well, it was cool uh, to see the jump scares again in a theater and actually see real people reacting to real things that are happening on screen. Uh, yeah, so the that- person next to me at one point went, oh, shit. <laughs> like, and like having a stranger hear them say, oh, shit, is like, was very exciting in the theater. Yeah, I guess one thing, I think a lot of people will be talking about the performances of the kids, you know, like Madeline and McGraw is really good in it. I think a lot of people will be talking about her as, as, as Gwen and how uh, foul-mouthed she is, even though she's religious. Um, and then Mason Thames is really good as well. Um, but I, I think more people need to be talking about Ethan Hawke's performance, too. I think he's he's really... He's almost like part court jester, you know, and then part kind of masochist. He's just... He's very creepy, and he's almost, you know, playing a, you know, more intense, scarier version of their father, in a way, I think. Um, and that's the one performance I might have had a little trouble with because that's you know, Chris you mentioned like at the beginning where it kind of feels like days confused that part of the film I just wasn't connecting with and it was bumming me out and then it you know becomes a, a different thing and part of it I think was cause Jeremy Davies character as a dad you know he really goes full drunk dad you know and maybe you should never go full drunk dad but you know <laughs> but um so and I just I, I was kind of about 20 minutes in or so just thinking, oh, man, I'm just not, this isn't hitting um, with me. And so once the actual setup got going, then I, I was I was into it. But it took me a while to kind of get back in the groove, I think. Um, now, you know, I, I agree with you there, Drew. On the, the is it, what's his, the actor's name again? I forget. Jeremy, Jeremy Davies. Davies. Jeremy Davies, yeah. I usually like him and he's really good in almost everything I see him in. But his performance was the one that seemed out of place. Like the kid seemed well cast and it was real naturalistic and he was like, it was like he was doing a play and acting real big for like the back of house. And it was just like real loud. That, a part of the movie that probably required the most amount of nuance. It had the least amount of nuance of anything that in the whole film, because Davies is a character actor and he got his, where he did in his career by playing these really extreme drug addicts, psychotics, dead people, what have you, you know, characters who are not good people per se. I still, my favorite performance from him is uh, one of the reoccurring villains in Justified, the Timothy Oliphant FX series. But so good in that. it's just not called for here. It's an extreme part that makes you wonder why the movie isn't focusing more on it ultimately when it made you feel like it was so important with his performance, I guess. And, and I felt like some some of the other aspects were that way here, too, in the first act, where you're like, this felt like it was going to be more important than it actually was. Yeah. But I think ultimately my problem was, as well-constructed on many levels as I think this thing is, ultimately none of the ghost stuff was scary for me. And it wasn't scary for the kid either, yeah. who practically never does anything but like a slight, oh, oh, okay. You know, he's he's faintly unsettled by talking to and sometimes seeing dead children around him. Yeah. I kind of I I like, like that. What? <laughs> I mean, this is his first time. It's not like he's like, oh yeah, this happens to me all the time. I'm not the kid from the Sixth Sense who's gotten <laughs> like, okay, you got me that time, but geez, you know, he's the, I don't know. I would, It just kind of put made the whole thing of a silliness to it at that point where I was like, I'm having a hard time getting into this that's, now and this that's funny because it's it's one of the things i kind of liked about it is like there was an initial fear but then once he realized this is my only lifeline like i like the helpful ghost like where the <laughs> the terror the horror is coming from ethan hawk's like serial killer and the ghosts are purely there to help even though they do milk some scares like jump scares out of that like there's never like a threat there really i don't know i kind of i found that a little bit refreshing 
Like it's I, not often where you see ghosts helping someone survive. A I like the killer. helpful ghosts too, but they still should be frightening. They still should be spooky and otherworldly. And here it's just like, and now a cameo from a ghost from the sixth sense is what it feels <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah. Shot in exactly the same way. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess I wanted some gun? more like R-rated horror moments, and and it did feel like a little more PG thirteen. I guess in in, in places. Um, but yeah, but I mean, overall, I mean, it's it's a, it's a great little like solid nineteen seventies set serial killer movie. I mean, and it's got a great premise. I just think sometimes, you know, with Joe Hill and Stephen King, you have to be careful with these characters, especially like something something like a Jeremy Davies character that's a, that's an alcoholic, abusive father. That's an iconic kind of character for Stephen King, you know, and mm. now Joe Hill too. And in the in the short story, um, you know, the same thing happened. It was also you know that happened in in it. There was you know kind of similar story, but. Uh, I think in the short story, it was actually a clown um, in the black phone. And so they changed that. I think Joe Hill wanted to change that. And they mentioned that in the Q&A. And for horror fans, just know that um, the the mask, the kind of kabuki devil inspired mask that Ethan Hawke wears as the grabber is actually uh, was actually uh, designed or uh, mostly designed from uh, Tom Savini. Hmm. It is a very cool mask, and there is some really cool design in here. I actually liked the d- d- Dazed and Confused stuff in the beginning, but that's partially because I'm such a gigantic fan of the movie Dazed and Confused. I'm like, oh man, a horror movie set with a Dazed and Confused feel? <laughs> I'm in. Let's yeah. do this. Uh, you know, that all becomes very unimportant once the you know kid gets locked away. It's really completely irrelevant. But the standout performance here is from the little sister, who is great in this movie. And you're just like, wow, I wish this movie would just let the little boy die in the cell. And then it all becomes about the little girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like much more interesting of a character. It does have an oh, awesome well. soundtrack, though, for sure. Yes, agreed. Uh, if you like 70s rock music, this will be all, you know, the well-chosen songs. Certainly all very familiar ones. But let's move on to our next review, which is going to be for Freaks Out. I believe, Alan, you and I are the ones who saw this one, correct? Mm-hmm, yeah. Wow, this was... Uh, I, I don't even know what to say about it, it, like, initially, except it was not at all what I was expecting. And I get that it's not going to be everybody's sort of thing as it plays for about two and a half hours. It is a long movie, no question. And as well, I mean, unless you speak Italian it's and or some German, it's going to be uh, subtitled. Uh, so you'll have to read. But wow, as the rep said when they introduced this film, the first question you ask yourself when it's over is, how in the fuck did they get this budget for this film? Because <laughs> yeah. it's a big, expensive-looking production. You know, I mean, you watch this, you're like, there's shit in here that I'd go, this could compete with, like, any given American big, like, superhero production at points. It's impressive what they... It's impressive that anybody talked a financer into giving them the money for a movie this truly weird, which follows four circus performers... In 1943, in Nazi-occupied Rome, uh, Matilde, Sensio, Fulvio, and, and uh, Mario. So one of them is a, a tall, platinum blonde-haired boy who can control all insects and make them do crazy shit, except for bees, because he's annoyed by them. Then Mario, who is a very short and looks like maybe partially mentally retarded. It's hard. They never Something. really yeah, they never specific. define it, but he's definitely like slower, like yeah, on the uh, spectrum. But he, 
he has mag- he's a human magnet. So anything when he turns it on, any metal goes and comes right to him. Then uh, Fulvio is a guy. He's got I forget what you call it, but when he's like basically looks like the Wolfman, which is a real thing. He's got hair that grows everywhere, but he's very 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 strong. Although not like you know, he's like Captain America strong, not like the Hulk strong. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Matilda, who is a beautiful young girl who can conduct an electric current, but she is the really the one who's kind of afraid of what she's got because as we find out. There's some trauma in her past connected to this. As she uses it in the circus, she uses it to light up light bulbs that she holds in her mouth and things like that and cause little effects. But it becomes, you know, as the Nazis become a bigger and bigger shadow in this thing, um, a lot of people are mad that she's not just straight up using it to fight the Nazis. She finally starts to turn when their sort of father figure, Israel, who's an older Jewish guy who leads the the traveling circus, who is, you know, a practical magician, if you will, gets kidnapped by the Nazis and brought to where the Nazis bring people along a very long road. But as well, they follow this guy who is uh, the sort of main Nazi in the film who himself has powers, who has six fingers, so he can play the piano better than like anybody. But he can take ether and go into these hallucinatory you know, visions that actually do show him the future, just in a sort of very confused barrage of things. And one neat way they play it out is when he plays music, a lot of the time music he plays is like, like he plays Radiohead's Creep yeah. for like this at the circus, like really well in a very piano arrangement of it. And you're like, what the fuck? This is 1943. Well, he heard it in one of his visions. So he bought it. He did like Sweet Child of Mine at one it's, point. It's one of my favorite little touches. It's like he sees the future and like, he conducts these beautiful symphonies and he's playing for all the Nazis and he's playing Radiohead's Creep. And it's, <laughs> it's really funny. Well, because of the skill, he also knows that the Nazis are going to lose the war, that Hitler will commit suicide. And he says he thinks that one of the things he's seen is this and just dim figures of these four people with superpowers. And if he could get those powers harnessed, he could win the war for the Nazis. No one believes him, really. But his brother is a high ranking Nazi. So he's given a little bit of like rope there. Uh, but it's gotten to the end of that rope. And, oh, he's like, we, you, and we should also say he um, he's running like a German circus, like yes. big budget, huge circus where like these are the ragtag circus um, performers. And he runs this like huge where all these people are coming, this big production of a circus. Yeah. Uh, and we discovered there are other people like this. They're just powers are not necessarily as impressive as our troop. But anyway, that is the story. And it is a long path as we watch these characters meet a huge variety of very bizarre other characters, like a a group of revolutionaries in their forest that the running theme is they're all handicapped in some way or another. Like, that's their whole deal. Like, lost arms or legs in the war, or their leader is like a hunchback guy. People are missing eyes. This is like this band. I forgot what he calls them. Yeah, I can't remember either. The devil's but, something. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, but what's wild about this movie is that it's structured. The structure is like superhero movie, like through and through. This group, you know, refusal of a call, hero stuff, got to embrace your power to fight for good. But this movie is weird as hell. Like, yeah. there's so many weird, weird, weird things that happen throughout this movie. Like, you mentioned the guy who's like covered head to toe in hair. He like comes into contact with another uh, a bearded lady woman who's like also head to toe hair, and in this movie that's really sweet in a lot of ways, and it shows them like full on banging, yep. <laughs> like for an extended period. These two hairy people, and it's just like wow, like there's like such a kid like feature to it, and then that's in it, and then there's also like severe violence. <laughs> 
Sorry, guys. My dog's freaking out. The the dog. The dog has thoughts on freaks yeah. out. I was talking about hairy things banging, and she was like, <laughs> I like that. Where can I get some of that hairy banging? Yeah, and there's like the, the the short, stout, sort of slightly retarded character in here. There's a scene where he full, because there's alluded to earlier, he's got a massive fucking dick. You assume you're not going to see it. Oh, yeah, you see it in full, like not just a flash either. You see it like swinging around in circles <laughs> for an extended period. Uh this movie is, in many ways, it could have been like a PG film, but it just actively chooses not to be and be a straight up rated R weird film. But it's never not sort of charming, even when it's disturbing. And there are very disturbing things. I mean, it's not it's weird as fuck, but it's never abstract. And it feels at points like Del Toro. It feels at points like uh, Genet. But it never really feels like it's one of their movies either. It's kind of its own thing. I really want to see the film that was previously made by this director, Gabriel um, Mainetti, called They Call Me Jig, which actually played a fantastic fest back in 2015, but I did not get to see when it played. Uh, I don't know if either one of y'all had seen that, but heard things about it. it. In fact, a friend of mine, Tony, was like, you know, the only reason I saw that movie because everybody was like, you look exactly like the villain in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) You have to see it. But yeah, I think both of us really like Freaks Out, right? I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Just for its oddity, like there's stuff in there I found a little annoying. I I think I told Chris right afterwards, like I'm annoyed by the hero's journey in movies, like the refusal to the call. They're like, oh, I I can't do it. Oh, yes, you can. We all know you're going to do it. Just get to it. I find a lot of stuff really annoying. And the movie has that. And I was kind of annoyed by that, but it's hard to get annoyed where like every 15 minutes I'm seeing something that I've never seen on a movie of this scale before. Like, like it's just so weird. Um, so it kept me entertained throughout. I, I remember the programmer did say that it doesn't have distribution yet in America, which doesn't surprise me that much. I do think a streamer would probably pick it up eventually. Yeah. Um, cause it's a big budget, real slick. It like looks good. Um, I guess see like maybe I don't know if it would be up shutters out alley or something, but a streamer will get it eventually. I think, but yeah. um, it, I'm hoping it makes ha- its way over. It has little chance of getting a theatrical release just because of its length, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, that which is always a you know if if it's not a huge IP drawing people in and it's over two hours long, theaters gonna think about getting it. And most like big theaters aren't even getting small foreign films, really super weird foreign films that have lots of dick in them. So. Yeah. <laughs> But the chances of somebody like Shudder or somebody picking it up are very, very high. And hopefully you'll be able to see it before too much longer there. Uh, Our last film we're going to talk about this week, and we're going to have a full review coming on the site as well next week, is VHS 94, the fourth installment of the VHS series, which are each one of them an anthology series with a wraparound thing that sort of focus on found footage uh, VHS tapes, they all have sort of, they tend to have more of a, a shittier look to them on purpose, like they are an old VHS tape. But this one obviously is 94. I think one of the reasons they upgraded is because one of them doesn't look all shitty. <laughs> I'm like, well, maybe we should say this was like top tier technology there. So it's like 94. It's a little further down the, 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 the way there. And it's written by, or at least originated from a screenplay by David Bruckner, who is really quickly becoming one of the most interesting people in horror to me, having launched really with The Signal in 2007, one of the segments of that one, had a segment in the original VHS, had a segment in Southbound, then directed The Ritual, a horror movie a lot of people really liked in 2017, and just recently, The Night House, which is one of my favorite movies of the year so far this year. 
Uh, VHS 94, though, is like all the VHS movies directed by a series of directors, including franchise returnee Simon Barrett, who uh, has written no end of really, really great films like The Guest and You're Next, but just recently started directing films himself. And Timo Tianto, which if you've ever listened to me talk about horror anywhere on this site, you know that I am a sizable fan of him and his filmography, having done uh, The Night Comes For Us, May the Devil Take You, May the Devil Take You Too. He's working on the Train from Busan remake, which I'm actually super, super looking forward to. And as the Mo Brothers, he did Killers and Headshot, two action movies I really highly recommend but there's also newcomers jennifer reader ryan prose and chloe okuno doing this series of short films that everybody i talked to had a completely different reaction to what they which ones they thought were the best and which one they thought were the worst i will say drew who i saw this with that this is i think next to the second chapter in the vhs films is the best of of the vhs films for me yeah i mean i think it's it's probably it's actually a hair above for me i mean i Admittedly, I haven't seen every single one of them, you know, in, in a while. Um, but it's definitely better than viral, uh, for, yeah. for, for sure. I mean, I did like Nacho Vigalondo's, um, Parallel Monsters story in viral. I think that deserves, um, a shout out. And I should go back and watch it again before I really, uh, shit on it. But, um, <laughs> but, but I would say it's definitely, it's, it, you know, VHS and then VHS 94 and then, and then VHS 2 for sure. But you're right. It's like what, it, there isn't really anything that 90s about, this this movie, you know, it, I think it's maybe just because the '90s are in right now. It's in the cultural zeitgeist somewhat, and you know, if they choose to go and do some other ones, which I think they should, I think they should do a fifth one. They can have another year, you know. They can have it be '87, or you know, they, they can play with the VHS era maybe a little bit more. Um, I so, mean, maybe they could just change the name of the series to DVR. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, I really, uh, dug it. I think Timo's is, is the, the one that's everybody's going to remember and it's going to be the standout and seeing it in the theater. That's how everybody reacted to, because it just is really relentless, um, in it's kind of first person level of insanity and gore that happens. Uh, but, um, I'd also like to see if they do do a fifth one. I'd like to see Jennifer Reeder, um, step in and do, um, a an entire entry because she did the wraparound, um, which is tough to do. You know, I think when you're, when you're doing these films and you're the director having to tie all these stories together, that's not easy. And I think she did a good job with, with Holy Hell. That's kind of the wraparound thing with the SWAT teams uh, going in and discovering these tapes and, um, and then, you know, watching from there and watching all hell break loose. Um, so I mean, I think like most of these, the wraparound is the weakest point of it, but it's still better than most of the VHS wraparounds are uh, from those films. I mean, I think the best wraparound for any of them is Southbound, which which did it better than anything. But still, like it, it's the weakest part, maybe because you keep getting pulled away from it. But the other ones, like the first one, is about a, a reporter and her cameraman looking through uh, urban, for an urban legend named as the Rat Man down through storm drains. That is kind of scary, funny. The Empty Wake from Simon Barrett, which is a woman who's weirdly been charged with watching at a funeral home, being overseeing at a funeral home, a wake that's going on overnight that no one is showing up for. But <laughs> she keeps thinking that the coffin is maybe moving a little bit, which sounds like a overly familiar creep showish type vibe. But they pulled off really, really well. It becomes I thought that was actually the scariest of the ones here for sure. Maybe the only one that's genuinely aiming for straight up terror. I think wake is definitely the one that feels, you know, the most like an EC comics or you're right. Like it yeah. tales from the crypt for sure. 
Uh, Tianto is one, the subject, if you've ever seen the horror movie, which you totally should, called Frankenstein's Army, it's basically like a different take on that, which is a mad scientist who is abducting people and putting their limbs together with metal and with other people's limbs and creating sort of super monsters. And then it kind of becomes like a horror movie version of a first person shooter in many ways, which is just fine when it's done well. And I thought he did it extremely fucking well. It's this is the one that you go. I mean, they're all gory. But this is the one you go, holy shit, gory, and kind of action movie gory. Oh, yeah, it's hardcore for sure. Yeah, and, and I'm sure Richard Raphorst, you know, the director of Frankenstein's Army, is going, hey, I kind of did that before. But um, <laughs> but it's it was just set in World War II with, with Nazis. But this one is just it really more like the play on the mad scientist. Um, and instead right. of, you know, giving elephants acid, he's, he's uh, you know, really kidnapping people and turning them into these kind of death-wielding, you know, uh, flesh and metal cyborgs. Yeah, and, and it works partially because of the sheer invention of the creations. Once the film lets you see them, it spends a while teasing you. But that's the, I mean, I could totally see that one ending up getting some sort of release independently and being expanded into a full feature because it's just so neat to look at. And Tianta's so good at doing gore. I mean, he, he's just exceptional at it. The last one is Terror, which is a white militia, a bunch of rednecks. Yes, it's, it presents them as more, um, laughable at than a real scare, but they're planning on some sort of thing, some sort of bomb that they're going to do. They're at that point where like, oh, we're a few days away from doing the thing. Uh, and they're, like I said, a bunch of idiots. You're not, you never feel that scared of them because they're really dumb, but maybe we should be looking at real history. And it turns out the thing they have is some sort of supernatural bomb. I don't want to say any more than that. I will say that once you kind of figure out what it is, you can completely predict where this is going to go. There's no way that it's going to go anywhere else but that. But um, it's still fun to watch play out. I kind of wish the very conclusion of it had, I, I felt was kind of a whimper more than a bang, but it was still fun. I do want to know more about that, the creature in in Terror in Ryan Prouse's one, because uh, it, it, it is a really strange mythology and they have the, the weirdest set of rules are, um, set around um, this creature. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen Low Life, um, the movie that he did before, I'd really recommend it. And, um, I know it played Fantasia. I can't remember if it played Fantastic Fest or not, but, uh, it came out a few years ago and it's kind of a luchador crime movie and it's great. Well, that is it for this particular entry of Fantastic Fest infestation, infestation reviews. We will be back again tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Maybe Monday. I can't remember. It depends on when I get these out. No. <laughs> but with the next installment of reviews from Fantastic Fest, thank you for listening. Check out Drew Tinnen at Drew Cent. Oh, sorry, Drew Central. That'll be the next one. It's Drew that's, Central, that's my only fans. <laughs> Dread Central. And then Alan with his band, The Delicate Boys. By the way, is there any place online they can buy your music, Alan? Uh, yeah, we're streaming everywhere. So Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. Um, DelicateBoys.com. We got some stuff Fair. up there, too. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, thanks, guys, and we'll be back with more soon.